right, well, we're back, and um, I totally didn't do this before. Um, we're not totally re-recording an episode because of a power outage. No. Um, but a funny story, I actually, um, I called Glendon yesterday, and he didn't have my number, and I was with our friend Ethan, and we couldn't hear him talk. And it lasted all of 30 seconds, and then that was it. That's the story. Do you want to know what happened with that? I actually, that's the only reason I brought it up, because I'm like, when I called you, I was like, hey, is Noah, how's it going? And we, I realized, because we were in the car, we couldn't hear you, like, at all Well, from my speaker. That's part of it. Um, also, I was still in bed. Um, what? And I think... I don't think you woke me up, but I think you did, like, the next thing after that, where it was like, oh I should God. get out of bed now. It was, to clarify, it was 2 p.m. your time. Yes. This is correct. Because I was talking to Ethan before, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's definitely, he's got to be up. It's, like, 2 p.m. his time. There's no way. And then when you answered, you sounded so quiet, and I'm like, I wonder if he was sleeping. I absolutely was. I... I mean, I've been getting to bed around like three or four, probably oh later, goodness. and then waking up at like one or two. What do you know? What's bad is that's actually my sleep schedule. So, <laughs> Ethan got me up at eight a.m. yesterday. I had to get up at eight thirty. I had like a dentist appointment yesterday. Yesterday was Wednesday. I had a dentist appointment at like nine, and so I had to get up, and I was like, sweet. I can, it was like middle of the evening. It's like, I can feel, I feel like I can do that. And then I had like uh, an anxiety attack basically for attack. I feel like is a extreme word, but I was like, I got hit with stuff and I was like, shoot. And then I was up until four again and had like three hours of sleep. Oh no. Yesterday is Tuesday, but. Oh, today's Wednesday. That was today. Yikes. Um, that totally was. I'm really confused. Yeah. Well, I also, I came home and I had like a four hour nap after that. I don't know if it was four Been hours. There. I don't know how long it was, which explains why my day is so disoriented. Yeah. Wow. This is a, that's quite the story. I'm yeah. sorry that you had a bad day. It's fine. I'm going to blame Ethan. There we go. I did talk to Ethan today. Oh no, please tell me you didn't suddenly come out and be like, hey, I'm moving in with you guys. Um, no, not quite. He was like, is this a possibility? And I was like, maybe. There's a lot of possibilities right now. My I'm favorite... like, I told, because Ethan and I had a long conversation about it, because he does want to move out. Yeah, and I was, and I, I was even thinking, yeah. like, this is probably something that Ethan is going to want to do. Oh, 100%. And I'm like, I'm down. But at the same time, it's kind of Glendon and Schubert's thing, and I don't want us to just suddenly hop on. I feel and really be like, hey. bad for Schubert because I have so many friends who I'm like, this could work, this could work, this could work, oh. and I'm like, I'm down to just have a frat house, but I don't know what his plan is. I know, and that's. Do you know how badly Ethan wants a frat house? <laughs> he called. He said, and I'm not joking. And when he unironically said he wants us to be called the Bang Bros, nope. And, and I had to explain to him what that was. And this is the thing. I feel like I love Ethan, but I feel like his vibe is so... Like, Ethan and I can get in the same vibe, but his natural mm -hmm. resting vibe is very different than Schubert and I's natural resting vibe. 
I know. And it was funny. We were talking about like, what would happen if we were to throw a party? And I'm like, well, I feel like Glendon's idea of a good party would be more like a dinner party where you get people like a, a, around a dinner and you have a good conversation. Like it's a good time. Play board games or something. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's chill or like yeah. a mystery, mystery theater kind Yo, of thing. Oh, that would be so dope. Exactly. Like that's totally up your alley. And then <laughs> that's like, so Ethan, your, your idea of a party is like in the basement it's raving out. And I'll just be flying in between the two parties. Okay, my favorite. So he called me and he told me about like how his plans were changing and stuff. And yeah. um, I, I'm just going to totally call him out because I don't think he listens to us. And so that's fine. Um, okay. And he was like, cause his original plan was to go into the military. And yeah. I was like, this is funny too, because I had talked to you earlier. And when all the protests were starting and I was like, Ethan wanted to be in the police, didn't he? I wonder what he thinks about all this. And oh, like, yeah, now he wants... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're like, no, he, he wants to be in the military. I'm like, okay, that's not much better, but... Which is true. Which was true. And then now, because he's in a relationship, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to go into the military. I'm going to go into the police. And I'm like, why... Oh. Why would you want that right now? What on earth makes that sound like a good idea to you? Well, I mean, it, it is good money. I can imagine, but it's also, it's it pays well, but it's morally bankrupt. Yeah, true. But he also like because he has his ba- like bachelor's in yeah. counseling or whatever, behavioral science. That's true. Um, he could potentially move towards community service if he, the he police will actually reform. be somewhat trained in. Uh, um, I, I realize you're already cut out, but I'm going to finish this thought. Uh, he he would actually. I can be- hear you now. Okay. He would actually be somewhat trained in like de-escalation tactics when the exactly. entire rest of the police force would be. He like I I I would I don't know I feel like Ethan could probably like I trust the guy to be able to do the right thing, but I understand also that the police system is inherently mm-hmm. systemically challenged with racism and yeah. amongst other and, issues. So yeah, no, yeah. I get what you're saying. And my whole thing with this since day one, uh, even since before day one, because I know before the riots and everything there are a lot of people mm-hmm. who are like all cops are bad whatever and i'm i'm naturally an idealist so i don't love to jump in there immediately but at the same time if you're not condemning the actions of these people and admitting that systemic racism is a factor in the police system and especially in the rcmp where it's constructed to keep down the indigenous population if you can't admit all of that and try to battle that from within the system you are a bad cop yeah no i think that's fair and um, i i feel like yeah. ethan could do all of that i'm just mm-hmm. skeptical oh he we we had a good long conversation okay, about p- police violence and whatnot and he 100 percent like he uh, he um what's a how am i trying to say this he acknowledges yeah that there's systemic issues both with in canada and in the u.s though obviously the u.s has a different systemic problem yeah. for the most part than Canada. And I think um, I think that's a good way to frame it is because I've seen a lot of people be like Canada is better. And I'm like that's not true. It's just different. There are different yeah. dynamics at play. Yeah. And I think it's also less um publicized in Canada. Oh, it's our dirty little secret. <sighs> Let's not bring the all American rejects into this. But... <laughs> I mean we're, we're gonna talk about music. This is a good prologue. <laughs> yeah. This is great. But um, also, did Ethan send you any of the houses we were looking at? Oh, no, n- none of that. We found like 30 to 40 houses. Are they all in that one area by like Aspen? 
No, I okay. The location, <laughs> like honestly, finding you a, a house mm-hmm. that's close to the LRT is mm-hmm. so freaking hard. Is it really? It's like you can find houses a hundred percent, like and decently priced. Right. Like um, one of the ones we were looking at was like twenty one fifty for five beds, however many baths, like oh. a full house, three car garage, like phenomenal deal. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> It's in the southwest, and it's nowhere near the LRT. South, southwest, not southeast. Um, yeah, southwest, which is closer to Ambrose, but it's still like far. Oh, still a little unfortunate, yeah. But there, like, I was looking like hypothetically, if if you and Schubert wanted to do your own thing or whatever, I looked at just if Ethan and I wanted to get an apartment with mm-hmm. like one other person. Like a three bedroom kind of thing. Right. There's quite a few around like the thirteen, fourteen hundred mark that are actually close to Ambrose. Okay, send me some of those. Yeah. So like if if you if, even if you and Schubert wanted to do your own thing, which again, yeah. Ethan and I both recognize yeah. that and that is very possible. We don't wanna yeah. don't wanna crash it. Cause um we could do that because Schubert has been talking about a studio space, or we could do where I mean I have plenty of people who I've talked to who'd be able to join. So Hundred yeah. percent. So it's like, like if we can make it work and all of us can live in a house together, that'd be fun. But understanding that, yeah, you need LRT access, or one of us needs to drive you to school every day. And I yeah. don't know if I want to be your mom, but Noah, you can be my chauffeur. Do you know how great it would be to bump to Reliant K every every morning? I mean, I'm kind of down with like if it was like 15 minutes from Ambrose a drive, yeah. I would do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's nothing. Hundred percent. We'll just listen um, if to it's a half voice. hour. Oh yes, Sugar Pine Seven every day. Yes. We'll no. We'll listen to our own podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I but like I do actually listen to this podcast while I write sometimes, just as like background sound. I mean, I listen to it when I edit it. So yeah. I. It's good. Yeah, podcasts are one of the few things that actually motivate me. Like, I'll try to put on alternative tunes sometimes and then i just get mm-hmm. very caught up in the music but podcasts oh, yeah. i can write to for whatever reason so that's actually interesting yeah anyway. when i was editing darren's stuff i had to listen to music because there was no way i could yeah. i would get distracted by a podcast i think i think it depends what i'm doing if it's i feel like if i'm just writing i can do a podcast because at that point i'm focusing on like words to page if i'm editing or doing research where i have to like think about it more maybe music is better that's a good point anyway um we speaking are of which 10 minutes in yes um anyway sir joy and i are in speaking terms now so i can't make that joke anymore that's right um she and i had a good conversation because ambrosia officially launched right the new um i believe it's the is it spring or is it winter i don't it's remember spring technically Yes, it is spring. Well, yes. <laughs> I don't know. And um, one of my poems, Water Lilies, is in this issue. And it's really good. Um, yeah, thank you. I've gotten rave remarks from you and um, you. You're <laughs> no, welcome. And Sarah Joy, actually. Um, but uh, more importantly, this is um, a v- kind of a special, but also like a serious issue. Mm-hmm. If you want to discuss that because you were on the team. Yeah, for sure. Um so, for those of you who are not aware, Ambrosia is a literary literary review. I can't say that word for some reason. Uh, run out of 
my school, Noah's, um, what's the word? Um, the, the school he graduated from. There's a fancy Latin word for that. I can't remember. Alma mater. There it is. I, I had college kids in my head, but I couldn't quite get there because I was also trying to talk. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's run out of Ambrose by English students. Like it's started by students basically to um, collect art and poetry and writing and just be able to have that published in a public matter. Um, and this year, I think, oh, what's it called? On the Sea? Beyond the Sea? The title is something along those lines. I feel bad. Um, I'll look. I'll look it up. Yeah, you can look it up. Um, and it is dedicated to one of our classmates, former classmates, Hygieia Gloria, who this past semester took her own life. Um, and we just felt between that and how that affected our community, and coincidentally, just how. Because um, we, we already had that in mind when, when COVID hit. And I think grief and loss and mourning are just very real themes at work right now. And so it's Ambrosia, this issue of Ambrosia is essentially dedicated to dealing with those themes and those ideas. Um, some of Hyjaya's own poetry is in the collection. And yeah, it, it's basically a process of moving through grief and and mourning and how those are validated and accepted and i think maybe we all need to hear that right now I just bumped into something while saying that so that was dramatic but yeah, yeah it was quite loud you can tone that down um, it's it's called journey at sea journey at sea yeah yeah, and I'm actually like really happy and proud that you guys all actually released the issue, even though COVID shut everything down. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you want to shout out everyone who is involved, or do you want me to do it because I have the names in front of me? Uh, you can do it. Um, we're friends with basically all of these people, yeah. but Heather Mack and Rachel Weisbrot were the managing and ed- edit. <laughs> Sorry, managing editors. Um, and the submissions and copy editors were Sarah Joy, Shonda. Heather and Rachel. And myself. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> um, the faculty, uh, obviously Rita, Darren, and Goosen were all at least reviewed it or had some yeah. something to do with it. Um, and um, Sarah Joy did the design and layout. And did you say someone did the uh, cover last time? Uh, Lauren Schmicky did the cover. Uh, did, there's no credit for that, by the way. I think there is. Oh, oh, it's down. Oh, come yeah. on, guys. You could have put it somewhere else. It's literally at the bottom. You can't see that. It's like fine print. That's why you need to listen to the podcast. Yeah, that's why you got to listen to the podcast. Um, And I feel like, like yeah, the issue is great. There's plenty of great poetry and mm-hmm. um, other submissions in in the uh, this issue. But also, like, it's important to note that Hygieia, I'm sorry for I'm pronouncing the name wrong. I, I didn't really know her well. We had a few classes together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, she I, we never really talked because I think she couldn't have. I don't. I was in maybe one or two classes with her mm-hmm. in my last year. Um, and what I learned recently, actually, um, is that she actually faced some pretty serious racism at Ambrose. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it's, it's not my place to discuss details, so I'm not going to. But that needs to be noted. 
I don't know if you've anything you want to say about that. I I mean nothing that I can personally offer. Um, yeah, Ambrose is a bit of a a white person problem. Yeah, and this is this is part of what I think we're all facing. Um, the, the the same going around is like it's okay to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist, which mm-hmm. is, is true. But I think it's I think it diminishes the issue in the sense that to not be anti-racist is to be racist because racism exists as a set of systems and structures that have been created to to diminish um, and subjugate minorities. And even if you claim to not be racist, if you just allow that to happen and don't take action, you are participating in the systems of racism, which makes you racist. And I think what yes. a, what a, a lot of people, even like super well-meaning people who have viewed themselves as very, very progressive, I think what a lot of people are realizing is we as a society need to step up and we as a society need to do better because we have not been doing nearly enough. Yep, agreed. We need. That's why I think the point is that we need to be anti-racist. We actually mm-hmm. need to move towards changing these systems and making it, I don't want to say making it more inclusive because that still gives us white people the power. Mm-hmm. Like it's we're the ones who are making it more inclusive, but like tearing down systems to along, maybe tearing down systems alongside people who've been marginalized by them so that they can then rise up. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's a decent way to explain it because yeah. again, we, I mean, I was going to say we talked about this before, but in the previous <laughs> recording that was deleted, we talked about how as white people, we often make it about us, even if we're trying to do our best to like change things, mm-hmm. but it still ends up being like, Oh, here's what I'm doing. Look at me like the virtue signaling aspect of it. Like, look, I'm painting Black Lives Matter on my windows or I'm like, I'm, I look at me, I'm donating to these places. Like, look look at how much I'm doing. And it becomes less about (laughs) what? A a really good example of that is a couple weeks ago or maybe a week ago, I don't remember, but it's time. That one movement that I was on like Facebook uh, and Instagram, there was like the blackout or whatever, where, um, and I saw I saw a lot of people criticizing it, mostly like black people criticizing it, because basically what it was was a bunch of white people just putting on a black filter over their profile picture and being like, look, I, I participated in the blackout movement, but without sharing any information, without posting any um, donation links or anything, it was basically just hopping on a bandwagon. And... Yeah, and there like there were. <laughs> Two issues that they ran into with that. One was that they were using the Black Lives Matter hashtag. And completely which clogging meant it that, up. Yeah, clogging it up. So all the good information was being overridden by all of these black pictures. Um, and I will say, as someone who did participate in it, I actually Googled and found a black image. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I what, what I did, or what I tried to do, to, to do differently, was actually put information in yeah. my description, like in the comments, and kind of tell white people to f off yeah and i think i don't think there's any problem in participating and doing that the problem comes from all of the people i saw who did that don't actually care don't actually care or did that and did literally nothing else and said literally nothing else and didn't participate in the discourse beyond um this exactly borderline like 
brand recognition where it's like I'm making a generic brand statement so that you don't crucify me. Absolutely. And it's like it's different than like, for example, again, I I hate to make this. This is what I'm saying. It's so easy to make it about us because I was going to say like you and I have been pretty vocal on Twitter about Mm -hmm. various issues. We've been retweeting and amplifying comments. But like I'm not saying that as in like, look at what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Look at how good we are. It's -hmm. just that is a way for white people to actually support the black communities by amplifying their voices and listening to what they have to say. And that's kind of why we haven't made a podcast yeah. about us talking about this issue because we're white people and we honestly have nothing to say that the black community hasn't said better. Yeah, exactly. It's We're, we're going to mention it because it's a giant social itch, issue right now and so we kind of have to mention it. But yeah, like the goal of this episode isn't to talk about the protest as long as much as to talk about christianity's response to the protests and other things um because it's been mediocre yeah no absolutely and and i will say that we do stand in solidarity with the black lives matter movement absolutely um and we we're going to in the description we'll be putting um some resources for you if you're interested in either donating or in learning more or in just supporting um, black authors and black speakers and, and black... Um, content creators? Content creators. That's a great way to put it. Black content creators. Anyone in the black community who's basically working towards this issue. And actually, anyone in the black community as a whole. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll be putting resources in the description. And you'll learn a lot more there than you ever could from hearing us talk exactly. about it. Yeah. And speaking of which, I think we also clarified in the previous recording that... In the previous episode about cancel culture, we kind of, the way we discussed the social media issue and people getting angry, it was almost... I want to comment on that, because that was something... Yeah, you do it. That was kind of your point. It it was my point, because it was something that I was like, this is something that I'm thinking about a lot, and I feel like nobody else is, but it's something that I feel like I need just for my soul to clarify, because in the last episode, we talked about like social media outrage, and I made a point that I don't, if, if I would stand by, I would stand by with asterisks, um, w- which was basically like, uh, if you are in an argument with someone and you're like swearing or going off at the guy, you've immediately lost the argument. Um, I'm, I think it's important to be clear that when I say that, I say that in like things that don't mean anything. Um, so stuff where it's like, just a menial internet argument where, you know, you see people talking about stuff and then people get angry for no reason. This is not, what's happening right now is not anger for no reason. This anger is justified and condoned and understandable. And if you can't understand it, then you need to sit down and consider taking some lessons on empathy. Yeah, and I think anger is also necessary yeah because honestly like sitting here and like wishing about changing things it's it's never done anything Mm -hmm. history never happened because people were happy and this is this is something we'll get into definitely but like speaking of white people making yeah a black lives matter movement all about them i think we can talk about sean foyt or as we all like to call him sean fraud sean fraud just Before we before we get into our main topic, oh. I feel like just for context, 
as good of uh, as good of a transition as that is, I feel like for context. By the way, the loss of audio is entirely my fault, or at least partially my fault. Oh yeah, power went out, and Glendon for some reason didn't save or render so, the file. So what happened? Because I am an awful person. I just if I'm not using the tab or I want to use the tab but don't get to it, I'll just like leave it open for days sometimes. Like I just don't turn anything off and I come back to it later. And so we recorded this podcast. It was like two hours long and at the end of it I was super exhausted and I was like, I'll get to it tomorrow and send it and because I usually I feel like I usually save after recording and then send it the next day because sending is just a lot of work. Um, but apparently I just didn't save it. And apparently my laptop shut off, which it doesn't need to do and like restarted, which is weird. Um, and then there's like a couple power outages, which I don't know if they were related. I'm going to say they were. Um, and then I came back and the audio, the solid audio track was gone. Cause apparently what audacity does is it just saves instead of auto recovering, for some reason in that instance it just kept like bite-sized audio files and so there's like 2000 or so audio files and you would have to basically reassemble the thing by hand and i was like i'm i am not doing this i'm sorry yeah i was like no that's not worth it yeah and we were just very ranty too like yeah there wasn't a lot of flow. It was it was a very typical thirty forty vision podcast. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's good clarification. Um, none of it was my fault. So <laughs> I was just I just came out of a meeting, and then suddenly I get a message from Glendon being like, "Hey, we have a problem." <laughs> I'm like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> and so I car. sat I sat in my car for like ten minutes, talking to you about that. So good. And I'm I- like, oh no. I I love the back and forth and this. This is a complete tangent, but this is so funny. So I send you a message at like 7.30 in the evening. And it's like, so I might have bad news. And it says, uh-oh. And I explained there was a storm and my laptop work started, which was odd because it shouldn't need to do that. So Audacity didn't save. However, and you're already freaking out. Um, yeah, I'm like, OMG. Yeah, there is a backup folder. However, oh, the backup folder has split the audio into one megabyte files, which means how many files? A few. As in 10? 12 folders. Oh, oh. Folders of <laughs> how many? I think a, a few hundred files each. What the fuck? Um, and, uh, and then it just so, descends. What now? Um, yeah. So yeah, I I looked at options, and there are options that existed, but they were going to take way too long, and so we didn't do that. And that's why we are re-recording this podcast, and it's going to be better. You know, ever since I've been listening to the Sugarpine Seven podcast, sometimes I have to re-record episodes, and I've always thought to myself, like, wow, I wonder if we're ever going to have to do that. Yeah. And then it happened. Happens for the best of us. But now I get to rant about Sean Foyt again, and this time in a more concise manner. There we go. Go off, King. So anyway, Sean Foyt, this man, is one of Bethel's... He's one of the face of... He's one of the faces of Bethel. I can't tonight. 
He's like one of the faces of Bethel worship. He's one of their marquee worship leaders, probably just behind Brian Johnson, who's also racist and a Trump supporter. He started Evangelicals for Trump, Brian Johnson did, and Sean Foyt ran for Congress for Trump. Which is baffling. You shouldn't elect, You shouldn't be allowed to do that. What's funny enough, though, like not only did he try to garner support from like the Bethel Church, which wasn't in his riding, <laughs> um, but the other person in his riding, like he was running against another Republican as well as a Democrat, so he just split the votes. Did that become a Democratic primary then? Because he split the. Oh, votes. the Democrat won. Amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Won oh. by a long. It was like forty-five percent <laughs> to like twenty and fifteen. Oh. Yeah, so Sean Foyt isn't exactly the sharpest tool in this shed. He's also racist and sexist. And if you've ever read William Matthews' rants on Twitter about him, like, he's genuinely just, like, an asshole. Um, William Matthews started the Sean Fraud movement. Yeah. And so, anyway, so this, the Sean guy, I've actually had one run-in with him back when I went to Tehila once in Calgary. Right. Because Logan and Dion wanted to go, and I think I was carpooling with them, so I'm like, yeah, no, I'm down. Um, now, was it because I wanted to go, or was it because I wanted to spend time with them? It was 100% because I wanted to spend time with them, so you can say I'm... Wasn't there a girl? Oh, yeah, also, like, besides the fact that I wanted to spend time with them, because I'm a good friend, um, there was also a, potentially a girl that may or may not have been there that I may or may not have actually talked to. There you go. I also feel... and. I think this is more of a me thing than a you thing, but I feel like there's a certain idealism of like, yeah, I'll go to like this worship event. This should be fine. And then you go there and you have that sinking dread of like, oh, this is not fine. Yeah, especially when Sean Fraud comes on stage, starts doing his thing, and then you're not singing loud enough. So he's like, wow, is there a spirit of dissent in this crowd? Oh. Better start singing louder. You know, because if you're not supporting me, then you're not supporting God. Am I right? Clearly. That's the Sean Fraud attitude. He goes in, makes it all about him, and if you don't support him, you're not supporting God. Yeah. His revival is really a, a revival of ego. Yeah. Well, he's a Trump supporter, so, so you know, naturally, if you're not supporting him, you're not supporting Trump, and Trump is God, so. Exactly. He's the Messiah. Yeah. And so, also, it's worth noting that Sean Fraud has been working to um, discredit the Black Lives Matter movement all over social media. Of course he has. So, um, what happened was he decided to put on a concert or whatever, a worship thing, at George Floyd's memorial. Literally, like, feet from the memorial where people were not only, like, crying or, like, having their moments of silence and, yeah. like, mourning the loss, but also there were um, uh, individuals from the black community doing, like, DJing around the area and other musical sets. And so Sean Fraud decided to drown them all out and send them all packing by blaring his worship music. And one person described it as he was on stage in jorts doing his sing-along thing and then started begging people to come to Christ and no one no one was doing it. No one was raising their hands because in evangelical circles or in charismatic How circles sometimes. How dare he give Saturday shorts a bad name? I know, but it's Sean Fraud. What else do you expect? 
So he's like he's trying he's trying to get people to raise their hands to say they've come to faith in Christ in that moment. And finally someone did and he started preaching about oh there's a revival, oh yes, hallelujah, blah 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 after one person decides to raise their hand. Um and and then as well, they're not wearing masks and they start right. going around and praying for people as in literally touching them without wearing masks during a pandemic at George Floyd's memorial. That's the kind of guy Sean Fraud is. He made it all about him and how what he's doing and trying to make his revival happen <laughs> by making people uncomfortable at the very least and at worst, like genuinely could have gotten them sick. Mm. And so obviously I was pissed. People yep. on Twitter were pissed. Pretty much everybody who's not a Sean Fraud supporter was pissed. And that just goes to show that there's this, there's a bit of a problem in worship and CCM in our time, and I think we can just call it whitewashing. I think that is or, a or just problem. White people. White people. What? But that is a problem. I don't think it's the problem, but it's definitely okay. They also have them. an ego problem. Yeah. But that's my Sean Fraud story. Also, he was supposed to come and do a concert at my old church this past April before COVID. So thanks, COVID. <sighs> I would have gone just to mess with them. Except we would have been in Europe, so. Yeah. Rip. So, basically, the point of this podcast is going to be CCM and worship music, if you couldn't yeah. tell from that massive lead-in. Yeah. I just want to quickly jump in to note that Glennon's playing with Lego or something throughout this podcast, and uh, if you hear any of those sounds, that's what it is. I can't edit all of them out. Sorry. So, Glennon, what do you want to talk about? Um. Oh, my goodness. There's, there's so, so much. Um. The thing I always come to, and this is something that I've been thinking about for a little bit, um, because I have been home, which, by the way, I will soon not be. I will soon be doing camp stuff, which they have a day camp structure, which we'll see how well that works. And so good luck. There will either there will either be a decrease of podcasts or Noah will come and do a podcast with me, in which case, Ben, this may be your time to shine. Basically, I might have to either do podcasts by myself or yeah. I might have to drive to Stettler. Not exactly my favorite place in the world. Yeah. Um, but it's not like I'm doing anything. So. It's it's true. So anyway, because I've been home, I have been with my parents occasionally. And they have like two radio stations, maybe three. And it's like sports news, um, classic rock, or christian soccer mom music like the equivalent of shine fm um <laughs> and it's, shine fm is calgary's christian radio yeah station. And, it, and it's usually that one and just listening this was in the dead of the riots um that's a bad phrase um this was in the middle of the riots um when i think all the 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 media was at its peak and all these different things were going on. Um, and the Christian radio was exactly the same. There was no one commenting, e even really commenting on the protest. There was like no attempt to engage with it what in whatsoever, which was baffling to me. It was just the same old um, generic happy-go-lucky, Jesus is great. And sometimes you get, man, sometimes things are tough, but luckily Jesus is with me. And mm. 
I, I kind of sat back and I realized that the same people who are on Facebook ranting about how um, basically discrediting people's legitimacy for being angry and, and saying, well, why don't you just do this peacefully? The same evangelicals who are on that train are also in this train of CCM where everything's fine and things are only sometimes difficult and hardship and lament really don't exist. And my, my kind of thesis from that was part of the problem, part of my problem, especially with CCM, is it lacks, it doesn't give Christians generally the language of um, injustice or the language to deal with injustice, a language of lament, of anger, of passion, of genuine emotion. It just gives this, you know, typical oh, what's the phrase? Just like generic deism, that things will things are going to be all right, and that's all you need to worry about, because even if things hey, are okay. bad... Well, mm, hmm. Hold on one moment here. That's not generic deism. Moral, moral therapeutic deism, that's the word I'm looking for. That is much closer, but I would say it's therapeutic theism. That's fair, that's fair. Um, it's not like they don't believe that God is somewhere out there not doing squat. They believe yeah. that God is literally just going to make everything okay. Yeah, moral therapeutic theism. And Thank you, that's yeah. better. I, I knew the term was wrong. But yeah, it's and it, it equips people with this stagnancy where they just don't do anything about the world. They don't interact with the world. Everything is distant from them. And why why should they? Because everything will turn out all right. And so when they see people who are legitimately suffering and have legitimate hardship, they have no, they aren't equipped with any sort of language to deal with that. And so they just disconnect and they're like, why are you upset? Just, just be chill. Everything will be fine. Well, and it doesn't help that they also believe that the material world is meaningless and that they're all going to get to go to heaven in a this spiritual is, realm that this is true. Like, I has no connection. And that's another thing that I keep thinking about. Um, a friend of mine, sent me a thing and unfairly reminded me that the Left Behind series existed and that I read all 40 of the teen books as a kid and they're bad. Um, first of all, Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye were just garbage, garbage people. They're anti-Catholic, anti-gay, um, conspiracy theorists, so many, so many different things. Um, but just, yeah, that, that whole concept of dispensationalism that we can just abandon the world because the world is sinful and we don't have to deal with it which is something that's going around a lot is yeah the world is sinful people are going to experience hardship why do we have to worry about it and it's like that isn't the call of the gospel the call of the gospel is to lift up the disenfranchised and to help them and fight for them and that brings heaven to earth that is what heaven is, is this world where where we go out and we fight for people because they can't afford to fight for themselves. I think we kind of got to the same point we got to, but like an hour earlier. It's possible. But, I mean, Leroy Jenkins is the only Jenkins I want to follow. Hey, at least he still um, has chicken. At least he still <laughs> has chicken. Amen. <laughs> That's the kind of slogan I want to hear in churches. 
<laughs> no, but but you're hundred percent right. Yeah. You're gonna make a joke. I was gonna make another reference, which is one of my favorite lines. Which is like if my calculations are correct, which they always are, yeah. or something like that. That video is still so good. What was it like thirty three point yeah. three three repeating? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. Anyway, we can move on. Anyway, you make a good point, though, that oftentimes, not even just, I would say almost always in Christian worship music and in Christian, in most CCM music, it's very much uh, happy, joyful, like, look at God, look at what he's done for me. Look at God, now back to me, now back to God, back to me. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly, that's literally contemporary Christian music. Put that on like a, make a meme out of that. That is literally every worship leader ever in evangelical and charismatic churches. Like, that's such a good segue into my rant on spontaneous worship. That is. It really I'm, is. I'm gonna I'm gonna save half of it because Glendon, I think, helped me be more concise last time because he helped me realize that spontaneous worship is really only a thing in like Bethel esque churches. Yeah. Noah, um, Noah it's went not on a, this Noah went on this huge tangent about this thing, and he's like, "This is ubiquitous." I'm like, "I've never experienced this in my life, and I've been to so many it's churches." De- it's definitely like a charismatic evangelical thing, but it's yeah. definitely rooted in like being influenced by Bethel or yeah. mega churches like Bethel. I, I definitely, I, I think you make a good clarification that you didn't last time, where it's like charismatic yes. evangelicalism. I think that's probably true, um, and that's not something I have a lot of experience with. So, yeah, and so as, as someone who was on the worship team for like six years at my old church like we weren't always doing spontaneous worship but the last like two or three years once we really started to go to bethel's conferences and invite them up whatever um it really started to make an an impact and i'm not when i say when, when i critique spontaneous worship here i'm not critiquing those who do it because i think for some people it is genuine and it is a way to worship and again i'm just saying hmm and, and and to clarify, spontaneous worship isn't it you you're the the brand of spontaneous worship that you're talking about is like you are on stage for half an hour or so with like ten minute long songs yeah. where you are making up lyrics on the spot. It's not yes, maybe I'll elaborate. Yeah, because yeah, I think there are different things that the word spontaneous worship can mean that are not what you are specifically talking about yes spontaneous worship in this context is when you have a worship leader or a singer um you basically take a song let's uh, we used oceans as an example last time which is a good one so let's say you like go through the bridge and you build it up and you do your big instrumental part then after that big instrumental basically what the worship leader will tell you is that everybody can just kind of start playing like low and soft chords for me it would mean doing swells which I'm not going to explain what that is because if you're not a guitarist, you won't know anyway. Um, So basically it's just playing low and soft and then you keep playing the same chord progression over and over and over and give space for the worship leader or the singer, whoever it is, to start, they call it spirit influenced, like, or spirit inspired, sorry, spirit inspired, like worship words, song lyrics, whatever, which is really taking other lyrics from the song and just kind of throwing them in and making your own song in the moment. Most of the time, it's like bad freestyling, in my opinion. <laughs> um, it's certainly creative, and I think sometimes they just come up with ideas beforehand or practice, which means it's not really spontaneous either. But 
they like the whole point is that with spontaneous worship they like to make it look like it's spontaneous because that's more like holy or they put it on a pedestal or something because then it's actually inspired in the moment by God, right? Um, when most of the time, like, what they do isn't any different than what a rapper does when they freestyle on stage, except it's worse. And usually they'll have an idea beforehand of where they'd like to go with it. Almost like when you, like a different version of something that, I don't I don't even know if you'd call it spontaneous, but when you have like, um, what's that poetry style? Freestyle? That I'm thinking of. Not freestyle poet. There's a different name for it. Like, like almost like beat poetry. Um, spoken word. But spoken word. That's exactly it. Like sometimes you can have spoken word in worship songs. Like I'm sure churches do that. Oh, they do. I've right? seen it. And then it's like it's almost like that, except you're pretending like you didn't Bad. have anything memorized beforehand. I just want to clarify here that I don't think they always have something prepared beforehand. I do think sometimes it is genuinely spontaneous. Like just thinking up the lyrics on the spot but i'm saying there are times where it's definitely somewhat prepared but they act like it isn't and so it's more like spiritual and like in the moment and spontaneous and for some reason for some reason in even oh, sorry in charismaticism this isn't really an evangelical thing i guess but in charismaticism being spontaneous is like one of the biggest like highest best things you can do because like, I guess in some ways I get it because you're being present, but if you've memorized it, then you're not actually being spontaneous. And then, it's, I don't know, it's a weird thing. But anyway, so they put it on a pedestal and so people will go off and do their lyric thing and like start talking about oceans and like, oh God, you're here with us. Oh God, you're here with us. Come wash your waves over us. See, like I came up with that on top of my head and that's basically what yeah. they do. So there's not like... It's, I don't have a problem with that as being a style of worship. I don't even mind that they, if they want to take a song and make it four minutes into ten minutes, it is what it is, if that's what they want to do. But it's putting it on this pedestal, which yeah. instead of, like, it doesn't really help the congregation. It's not like the congregation can sing along, or at least if they can, it's it's not like, it's it's in my opinion, from my experience, it seems like it's more about the worship leader in that moment or the singer than it is about any form of worship. But I guess it also influences the congregation to feel something because when you see someone get really like emotional and into it, it kind of creates an emotional response within the congregation as well. Um, yeah. But I still feel like it, it runs into the problem of making it so much about the worship leader mm -hmm. that you lose focus, at least for me, it can be distracting, regardless of who the focus is on really in that moment. I think sometimes it just falls into the trap of acting like it's the superior form of worship, like there's no other good form of worship, like this is the best, and if other churches aren't doing this and they aren't worshiping God to the fullest that they could be, which was the attitude my old church had had. Um, so it's, I just more disagree with the way it's um, glorified or put on a pedestal than anything else. And if I'm being honest from my own newer perspective if it's helping people be more present in the moment then it can absolutely be a good thing so i'm not saying it's all bad i just don't like the way it becomes a my church is better than your church because we do worship in this way yeah i don't know and this i don't know is, if that made sense i think it makes sense and i think that gets at oh okay that gets at like a really primary issue that I struggle with where it, it, it becomes this question of <clears throat> aesthetics versus excellence. I think I think that's the distinction. Um where you have yeah you have aesthetics in, in the sense of you're trying to create this 
aesthetic experience for the audience, like between the audience and God. That's ideally an, a, a, an end goal to worship, I think. Um, but there's also like for personal worship, you have this concept of excellence where you want to you know, pursue whatever skill you have to its excellence. And, and that in itself is an act of worship. And sometimes, like for me, listening to excellent musicians also helps with worship. But do you get so caught up in that excellence that, oh, you just get hyped about the musician rather than like the actual worship set? And then lose your aesthetic experience. I I get what you're saying with that. I mean, so now that I'm kind of like a little bit out of the Christian circle, I would say getting hyped about a person is the same as getting hyped about God to some extent. So, um, I think I would agree. But like, and that's why, like, I don't know. Maybe my critique of spontaneous worship doesn't even work within that new frame of mind. Um, maybe it just bothers me about the hypocrisy of it, where it's like that's fair. You can do that spontaneous worship. And it can be, like, only the singers that do it. You don't give any other... Like, it's not like you allow the guitarist to throw in a spontaneous solo Yeah. during that time. Because that would be distracting, is what they would say. <laughs> so I'm not necessarily wrong here, but um, I'm pretty sure that's uh, that's my old ego uh, talking a little bit there. Just gotta confess. Um, yeah. I think that question of hypocrisy becomes really difficult, too. Because... Especially in what we choose to create um as a as a worship set we we run the risk of presenting this concept of perfection um because and and again this is the exact same problem i have with ccm i i by the way distinct ccm from worship sets and i think there's like pop worship that's kind of both um but when I think of like a worship set, I'm thinking of like the live experience. And, but I think they have a similar problem in the sense of if you are creating a worship set that has no room for lament or even to acknowledge suffering, um, I think there's definitely a place for that. And there's definitely people who, who need that. Um, but when that's all that you have to offer, you create this picture that everything's perfect and nothing is wrong, um, which isn't true that's not how life actually is and it it becomes deceptive in a sense well that's a big issue with a lot of this is a lot of it's just not authentic yeah um and uh, like for example like there's there's definitely those for example in the in the context of charismatic spontaneous worship they're definitely those that get on stage and they are authentic and they are genuinely doing this and like worshiping god in the moment but then there are those that are definitely putting on a performance that are trying to elicit a response from the congregation in order to um, make it more of an emotional impact mm-hmm. rather than just on being authentically worshipful or authentically you. Yeah. Um, and that's like a big thing, at least in my experience on worship teams and later on and before I quit, it was like there was always kind of that pressure to be like more um, – out not outspoken but like more showy on stage or to show make it look like you're really into the music by being like by through your movements through your actions rather than you know you can it's almost like you can't be into them like you can't be feeling god or experiencing god Mm -hmm. unless you're showing it outwardly Mm -hmm. so it becomes such like a performative experience rather than an authentic experience and to add some context i was specifically asked 
to smile more on stage or to try to move my body to make it look like I was more into it or to like um, spread out my legs more to, I don't know, try to give me more stage presence, I guess. Um, or to just like um, move around on stage more and make it look like I'm into it. Like I was asked to do specific actions to make it look like I was more, um, I don't know, I guess feeling God more or more engaged in the worship and then that would help the audience or congregation feel more engaged. At the same time, I was also asked to play specific um, ways like with swells and whatnot in order to influence the audience to feel God more. I, I don't remember if the word hypnotize was used, but it was kind of like that. Like you want to hypnotize the audience into feeling a certain way. And you can do that by specifically like as swells with reverb and whatnot. You can, it, it has that hypnotic feel is almost how I would describe it. And so that's kind of what I was trying to get at here. And I think that that's an, an issue that you run into when you try to make it always like when you try to make it always like happy or like happy songs or try to make all the songs have a similar lyrical like quality to them. Yeah. And sometimes you just can't relate to that. Like, do you know how many times I was on stage and I'm like, man, I just cannot get into the song because like mm-hmm. the lyrics do not apply to, to what is going on in the world or to what I'm experiencing. And I'm like, yeah. I'll play the song, but like I, I, I can't authentically, um, I, I don't f- worship to this song the way that you all do in this moment because it's the same as the song before and it's the same as the next song and they're all mm-hmm. they all have the same feel and quality to them and yeah. then like you said there needs to be room for like anger and mm-hmm. for justice or for lament and just even frustration or doubt yeah. there's n- there's no room for doubt in um ccm or in charismatic movements or in just worship music as a whole for the most part i mean there's definitely exceptions there are hymns that deal with doubt and there are some modern there's some modern worship songs that also address doubt and it's good like doubt's all part of it too but especially there's this whole movement in and it's rooted in in evangelicalism and probably in puritanism of the literal truth of scripture And so if you doubt any of it, you're like in trouble and there needs to be certitude and you need to be certain of everything. It's just like, no, that's just, that's not the reality of the situation. And that comes into the John Steingard thing. Um, Exactly. But before, before we quite, before we quite get into that, there's a couple of comments I want to make on what you said. Um, Okay. Because I think you, you make a really good point in talking about this. Um, In your example, it's, um, charismatic evangelicalism where where spontaneous worship becomes this ecstatic ideal of experiencing mm. god yep and i think this is something that we have run into on and off again just throughout church history like you look at the early church it was speaking with tongues speaking with tongues with this high ideal and which is still an ideal in some circles yeah which is still an ideal which is absurd because first corinthians is a whole chapter where it's like you're stupid People worship in different ways. People experience God in different ways. That's important. That's why there's different denominations, why there's different conceptions of God. It's not because people are wrong as much as God is vast and people are vast. And we experience that in different ways. 100%, yes. But 
I mean, God shows herself in just as many different faces as we have, so. Yeah. That'll get all the conservatives angry. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. You assume you assume there are any conservatives who listen to this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, like, someone. They'd Goodness. probably turn it off after one of my bad jokes. Probably. Um, um, but John Steingart. John Steingart. Um, he's someone who grew up in the evangelical church, was taught to take scripture literally and as the exact word of God, though obviously written by humans, but like it is the word of God. I don't I don't even know if he would talk, people are taught that necessarily. I think he I think he said that somewhere okay, here, maybe. but I don't I can't find it. Um, um also important clarification or context, not clarification. He was about who he is. He was or is, I think was, uh, a part of Is. Is still interesting. Yeah, apparently. Um I know they've shown him a lot of support, but anyway, he is attached to the 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 band Reliant. Not Reliant. I am mixing up Oops. my my punk Christian band, uh, Hawk Nelson. Formerly, I can never remember this name. Jason Dunn. Jason Dunn. Jason Dunn was formerly um, like basically run by lead singer Jason Dunn, and it was for its first four or five albums. I don't even know. Um, basically like something like that fun party punk rock um with like some clear christian themes there sounds like friend like that that were pretty explicitly christian but like it wasn't preachy it was just kind of fun punk rock where sometimes god was involved um and there is totally there's at one point a, a group of the band including john steingard pushed to include more Christian themes, lean more into the CCM style, which is a very regulated, very specific style. And Jason Dunn was like, I don't want to do that. I I just want to have fun and make music. And so eventually he left and John Steingart became the lead singer because he really wanted to do this thing. And now you can come in. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically Glendon nailed all of that with the Hot Nelson aspects of it. Um, and now John Steingart has come out and expressed that he no longer believes in God, or at least not in the God that he grew up being taught about. Yeah. Um, he has multiple posts about this at this point, so it's a growing situation. He's basically deconstructing publicly, which is kind of difficult. Yeah, but also fascinating. Um, but, oh, yeah, it's uh, great reads, and I actually, I think... Maybe where Glendon and I differ a little bit is I agree with a lot of what he's saying. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he definitely, I like the way he thinks and the way he's going through this. But anyway, there's no room for doubt in mm-hmm. the Christianity he was brought up and There's no room for gray areas. It's always black and white. It's like the Bible is literally true. Read it and accept it or don't and go to hell. Kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Like... If you start to doubt one aspect of the Bible, then the entire Bible goes with it, basically. It's like yeah. the th- throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of that, um, something I've been thinking about a lot recently, is this kind of idolization of the Bible, where the Bible becomes God. And, I mean, people can fight me on that one, but I feel like that's not true. Like, that that's not biblical. That That's heresy. Um 
there are definitely, there's this idea of the Bible containing the word of God, which I would probably support. Um, I, but that is different from like this book itself being God and this book itself being this divine entity that you need to protect. The book as fact was written by a bunch of guys throughout history wrestling with the concept of God relating to humanity. And it was written True. with different political biases and religious biases and conceptions of God that wildly differ from modern Christianity. Um, and that's all fine. You need to read it in those contexts. But the evangelical church in a lot of ways has just made it this solid um, kind of obelisk text that is immovable and unshapeable. And it says what it says, and that is the truth. And it's and yeah, and basically the Bible is the only source of absolute truth. Yeah, to them. Yeah, which is how you run into issues mm -hmm. like John's, where he describes some of the questions he started to ask, like mm -hmm. if God is all loving and all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Yeah. Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? Is the evil in the world the result of his desire to give us free will, which is the answer we've always been given as Christians, at least I have growing yeah. up. Um, okay, then what about the famine and disease and floods and suffering and, that are all caused by like the world and not by humans themselves? Noah is reading directly from the post at this point, by the way. Yeah, I am. Um, that's, like, that's not free will. If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? My whole life, people always said, you have to go back to what the Bible says, which is why we talked about the fact that the Bible is the only source of truth for these people. Mm -hmm. But then... I found, however, that consulting and discussing the Bible didn't answer my questions. It only amplified them. Why does God seem so pissed off in most of the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden he's loving Father in the, New in the New Testament? Why does he say not to kill, but then instruct Israel to turn around and kill men and women and children to take the promised land? I.e., why does God keep ordering genocide in the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. Why does God let Job... <laughs> I almost said Job. Why does God let Job suffer horrible things just to win a bet with Satan? We talked about that with Colin in Wisdom Literature. Yeah. Why does he tell Abraham to kill his son, more killing again, and then basically say, just kidding, this was a test? Why does Jesus have to die for our sins, more killing again? If God can do anything, can't he forgive without someone dying? I mean, my parents taught me to forgive people. Nobody dies in that scenario. I was raised to believe that the Bible was the perfect word of God. Sure, it was written by human beings, but those people were divinely inspired, and we can consider the words they wrote to be the word of God. And I began to have, the questions, I began to have questions and doubts about that. It seemed like there were a lot of contradictions in the Bible that didn't make sense. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but I'll leave the details for another time. So we did actually sum the situation pretty well. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Um, I haven't gone through all of his posts, but it, it's interesting to see him tackle those some co like topics and go a little more in depth in them. Um, mm -hmm. I, there's one, I think it's his second post, that stands out to me, because it kind of seems to be him commenting on this exact same thing exact same like back and forth that we've been talking about where um after some response he says if you react with kindness love and genuine concern as most of you have it says that the god you believe in is big enough to handle questions strong enough to handle doubts and loving enough to find every soul who is truly searching your confidence in that god is what allows you to simply love someone in my position and that is inspiring that makes me want to keep searching for that god it makes me want to keep my heart open but if you react with judgment, condemnation, or bitterness, it says that you are fearful, 
that God is not big enough to handle these hard questions, not strong enough to endure our doubts, and not loving enough to continue to pursue someone who struggles to already believe. And he goes on to talk about that deeper and everything. And I think that is kind of the central question is how small is your God? Because if your God isn't big enough to handle doubt, conflict, um, struggling, war, starvation, um, if he's not big enough to for you to take those issues to him and challenge them with them, then your God is way, way too small. The God, at least that I believe in, he's big enough to take challenges, doubts, questions, conflicts, contradictions in the Bible, which exist. Um, and there's room to have those conversations, room to wrestle in those conversations and be like, what, where's the love in this? And I think it's, it's imperative that we have those conversations, but a lot of what the evangelical church has done is just put this happy-go-lucky band-aid on everything again and completely discourage those questions from being explored, which I think is borderline unchristian. And I, I have to say the questions deserve to be explored because they do. I think the vast majority of them are valid. Yeah. Like, God does order genocide a lot in the mm-hmm. Bible, and he does require a lot of killing a lot of the time. And it's worth questioning why that is or why the human authors believe that to be. Mm-hmm. And the context and the historical reasons why that would be and the different... Um, yeah. influences that would cause them to to believe in God in such a way. But then, like, I understand, when does he start to say, like, oh, God didn't actually order that. That was the people believing that God ordered that. You start to get into, like, that area that for a lot of people is really difficult because then it's mm-hmm. like, oh, so the Bible isn't true in that part. And you're like, oh, no, well, then what do we do? Because then what if, what if it's all not true? Mm-hmm. And that's because you're treating it as, like, an absolute truth in word form it's a monolithic text exactly and as we all know the signifiers and the signified are never actually connected yeah to get into semiotics a little bit just a little bit yeah and 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 there there are so many different parts of that like biblical literal literalism and creation narratives and all these things and so yeah it's a whole other podcast episode it's true but Evangelicals, through this literalist interpretation and through this moral therapeutic theism, have created basically this house of God or house of cards that is their God, where once you start pulling out the cards, everything tumbles. And cases like um, John Steigard are just inevitable. Of course, they're going to happen because you've never been trained to doubt properly or to deal with doubt properly. Um, it's just a thing that you're supposed to avoid. But I think it's also worth noting that what John Steingart is going through is a good thing. Yeah. And I feel like every Christian should go through this at some point. Yeah. Like, you need to deconstruct your beliefs. And, yeah. and maybe deconstruct isn't the best word. I know, mm-hmm. boy, there's a whole debate on Twitter sometimes between yep. different progressives. I'm sure you've seen this about yep. whether you should use the word deconstruct or whether that denotes, like, that you have to use Derrida's... Um, Deconstruction theory. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I've read Derrida's theory at least a little bit. Yeah. Like, I'm familiar with it. I mean, I get why you have an issue with it, but I don't know. 
I, I think is a weird debate. But anyway, you need to challenge your beliefs at some point. You mm-hmm. need to maybe tear them down if you don't want to use the word deconstruct. Yeah. If you, yeah, at the very least, you need to, to question and challenge what you have always grown up with. And and maybe you come out of that being like, no, I, there are still things to this that I fundamentally stand to. And that's not a bad thing. You don't need to, again, you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's just, you need to be approaching these intellectually and with a space that creates room for questions. Yeah. I think sometimes it's necessary to die to your certitude. Yeah. You can't progress forward if you keep believing or knowing, I guess, that what you believe is absolute truth. Like, you'll never be open to anything. You've. It's important to question things and to be open to new ideas and, yeah. and new, um, whatever it is, theologies, beliefs, whatever you're you're looking for. New practices, spiritual mm-hmm. practices. Do you know how many people are closed off to new practices because oh, of yeah. the way they believe? Like, meditation is was literally condemned as demonic in my old church so <laughs> i i always like to think i always like to think of the story of thomas which is interesting because a lot of evangelicals have put a big rubber stamp on that story like look it's doubting thomas he doubted he sucks but that's not yeah. what the story is actually about um when you go and you read that story i i think it's in luke i don't even remember um but it's luke yeah that's what i figured but Thomas comes to Jesus and he has these struggles and these questions and Jesus never condemns him. He, he takes on those questions lovingly and he gives him answers. And I, I always see that more as a comfort than as a condemnation. It's questions are valid. He deserves to have questions at that time. And we also deserve to have questions. Yeah, a hundred percent. And honestly, in most contemporary worship contexts or in CCM, there's not a whole lot of questions being asked. Yeah. And that makes it feel empty. Like you're missing part of God. Yeah. Like legitimately. And this gets into something we've touched on, but another thing that I think about a lot, um, where you look at CCM as a corporate identity and Mm. a lot of the problems that I have with it. And pop worship is what I'll say, because I can usually vibe with worship in a live setting, but I feel like once it becomes pop, once it's on the radio, I do not connect with it. I don't know what it is. There's something about the live experience that's just intrinsically better for me. Um, But so much of what we have on the radio or the Christian radio is either pop worship or just sanitized pop. Uh, they, they're literally just taking the exact same music styles that they see in modern pop and watering them down and presenting a little gospel message in them. And they're so generic because they all sound the same. And none of them, to me, mean anything. Um, to me, who has life struggles, who has struggles with self-worth and all these different things that I'm still uncovering... <clears throat> None of that connects to me because that's not what I need. That's not where I find value or comfort. Where I found value and comfort is not in Christian, like pop Christian radio, but it's in fringe Christian artists who maybe like profess themselves as Christian and, and also not Christian artists. We, we can get to that as well. 
but in terms of like the Christian label, a, artists who maybe confess to be Christian, but that's not necessarily what their music is about. Um, I, I think specifically of 21 Pilots or Half Alive, who, who talk about these issues of anxiety and wrestling, and God is present in those conversations, but I want to say distantly, just not obviously, not um, in a in a evangelical fashion where you are listening to these songs to convert yourself as much as you are listening to these songs to engage with that darkness, with, with the these inner feelings that are legitimate and allowed, but just don't get talked about in the public pop Christian sphere. Yeah, and I think it needs to be said that, like, the divine can be present in all forms of music mm-hmm. and lyrics and poetry and whatnot and maybe i'm a little further out there when i say that like wordsworth wordsworth's poetry can be inspired by god or inspired by the divine just as like a 21 pilot song can yeah. or um any other name your band like if it's good and it's beautiful and it's true it's literally in the divine yeah yeah I've I've been struck between the eyes by like a Mumford and Son Mumford and Son song or by like a Vance Joy song. It's not yeah. it's it's not specific to to Christian music or even necessarily Christian artists. Hundred percent. And I've been struck by like the Wonder Years recently. Yeah. Just like it's a, not at all worship music, but it gets at aspects or elements of the divine that aren't touched upon by worship music and aspects that I find to be more authentic. Yeah, more relatable and something that I can like actually like I can experience the divine in that exactly one such example is like um, Cigarettes and Saints is a song by the Wonder Years that I found to be pretty powerful recently and mm-hmm. it's about corporate like we're talking about corporate abuse and corporate um, greed and taking advantage of kids to make yeah. money particularly in the pharmaceuticals and mostly illegal pharmaceuticals yeah and also, I sent you that song "All Too Well" that Dan Campbell covered. Yeah, which was a banging cover. It it really was. And speaking of my girl Taylor Swift, I don't even know if I'd call it the divine, but maybe a little bit, because just before the protests broke out, I was listening to her album "Reputation," which I was listening to because I hadn't listened to it yet and I wanted to, and because I was writing a paper on Chaucer and reputation in Chaucer and the story of Dido who I've decided is just, you know, ancient myth Taylor Swift is Dido. Um, but but yeah, like, her Reputation album is all about this, like, anxiety of being in the public eye and these debates that she's had with Kanye and these feuds and stuff. But so much of that comes in, like, this spiteful anger where she's finally stepping out and, like, expressing herself and expressing her opinions and her her political views in all these different ways. And for whatever reason, that album became cathartic to me as the protests happened because there's so much just anger and spite and just, hey, like, let's go out and break stuff in the tone of the album. And I'm like, this is... I, I need to listen to this to just convey these emotions because you can bet I'm not going to find that on Soccer Mom Christian Radio. Yeah, no, 100%. And weirdly enough, I, I experienced that exact same thing right before the the protest broke out. 
but but with the wonder years and I, i'm definitely building them up by accident <laughs> but like um this one like this was written i think in 2015 but he's like I'm just going to read off a couple lyrics from the bridge, but like John Wayne with a God complex tells me to buy a gun. Like shooting a kid is going to solve any problems. Like it's an arm arms race. Like death don't mean nothing. Mm. And it's like, that's literally America today. Yeah, absolutely. When you start to see through lens of non-duality, I think it was the first time I brought that up since like episode two, <laughs> you start to see God in these things and yeah. in these lyrics or in these experiences or in these people that you normally wouldn't if you're stuck in that evangelical Christian lens that God is only present in our churches or in us evangelical believers because we've accepted Jesus into our heart when really God is present in all of it mm-hmm. in the different musical genres that elicit our own experiences with the divine or in the suffering that people yeah. experience at the hands of an abusive system that yeah. seeks to discriminate and marginalize people. I mean, we've talked about this with rap specifically. Um, yeah. Where I'm going to like, I'm going to name drop Kendrick and chance specifically, but I think totally. it's fairly ubiquitous in the sense of like, there is this, first of all, black theology that is completely, almost completely ignored in Christian thought. Um, but there's, there's this clear sense of like suffering and, whether it's looking for God through suffering or just looking at through hope for suffering, that's all innate in just the genre of rap and white soccer Christian moms just completely ignore it and don't want to interact with it. But it's, there's God is present there and, and an important part of God is present there where it's again, this anger and suffering that it's all just contained within the creation of the genre itself. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And there's so many other, like, even um, in indigenous music, Ooh. there's a different aspect of God that's present there that's completely ignored. Yeah. And it's important that if, if these were, like, for example, let's say we're trying to include these in our Christian churches or in our worship music. Right. It's important that we don't co-opt it and start um, colonizing, <laughs> like, colonizing again. Yeah. Um, but, like, making allowing them to come forward and present their experiences of God through yeah. their music in our church settings that are for the vast majority of us pretty darn white. Yeah. It's not even just like the black experience or the indigenous experience. Like most churches don't use like for example, evangelical churches you never hear a Gregorian chant. No. Or a Catholic hymn. No. And and that's something we need to do. We need to get halo music back in the church. Exactly. We need to get the halo theme in the church. That's my dream. That would get... You want to talk about people experiencing God and being spontaneous? Now that's <laughs> the it. The Warthog Run? <laughs> yeah. Let's get... Let's play Halo in church. <laughs> hey, you joke. Hey, I, groups. I Yeah, I remember... I went to some random Southern mega church because we are in me and me and my parents were in, I think Kansas for, because we have friends. Random. Yeah. We have friends in like Missouri and they have connections all over the place. And so we took in high school, this trip and I, we went to this mega church. It was like huge. Uh, and I, I remember going in and ambling over to like the youth group 
and they just had Halo 2 hooked up and were playing it before you started, and I was like, I can I can rip some Halo 2. That story is not relevant, but it's really funny to me. It, I mean, it was kind of relevant. <laughs> um, but we are kind of nailing that point that, like, most of our Christian worship music, mm-hmm. and I say our, debatably. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I consider it mine. <laughs> but, like, most of it's very white. Yeah. It's very clean. It's very boring. It's uncreative. And a lot of times it's just lazy. It's lazy and it's corporate. It's lazy and it's corporate, 100%. And so if we start, uh, like, I think the best way is to either start inviting or including different forms of music into the church, whether that is something as, you know, um, even if it's just like pop punk, which will never happen. But like (laughs) in a better example, something like rap should be included in our worship settings um, and particularly include the black artists who are already like doing this. And then that begins to open up the worship setting to other alternative forms of worship, whatever that looks like. And that also means you can include people from different beliefs in different places and include their culture so that it's a more um, universal experience. Yeah. And honestly, just get like anybody who's not white on stage in church and you'll start to experience God in different ways and in more authentic, beautiful and true ways mm-hmm. and in good ways. I don't know, I tried to link the transcendentals in there, but uh, white people are lazy. They're That's not very really true, lazy. But... Even, even that is in itself, in a way, systemic racism. Because we've talked about how um, corporate CCM is. And CCM is corporate because they have found what works, they have found what gets listens and money, and they just force everyone into that style. And it's a very white style. It's white totally pop and there's very little room for anything else think about who can you name like any major black artists in ccm but i think there's nobody else i can think of three or two besides her um lecrae okay yeah lecrae's fair who's slightly been ostracized at this point has he really yeah oh people are always pissed at lecrae because sometimes he'll say something progressive and people will get upset oh Frick, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. It's so bad. DC Talk, Newsboys. Michael Tate. Exactly. Tate is like the perfect example of how corporate yep. Christian music yep. takes black artists and forces them into the white scene. Yeah. And that's the only reason he's as popular as he is now. Like if he were like when when he did a solo thing for a while, yeah. like he was not nearly as popular. Which is funny to me because his solo stuff and his stuff with DC Talk was so much better than what he's doing now, where he just took the Newsboys brand and made it sound like the rest of CCM. When it kind of had its own yep. distinguishing thing. God's not dead. Yeah, which isn't even his song; it's a cover. But that's a whole. No, it's his song. That's a whole other thing about Chris Tomlin. Oh, you want to talk? Yeah, you want to talk about the Chris Tomlin covering everyone else's song? I, I have rants about Chris Tomlin because, and again, this is the corporate aspect of this, where you have artists like Chris Tomlin specifically who will hear other people's music and be like, that's really good. I'm going to cover it. And because I'm more popular than you, I'm just going to, I don't know if he gets all the royalties for it, but he gets 
all the credit, at least, which as a writer bothers me because artistic integrity. But he will go, like, he did, what was it, a Good Good Father tour? That was the label, the Good Good Father tour? Yep. That's not his song. He didn't make that song. He didn't write that song. It's um, his now. The, the one that really gets me worked up, maybe because I heard them in contest concert so many times at YC, but Blue Tree had this song, um, God of the City, which I think is like a fairly ubiquitous song, but it was written specifically about the suffering in Belfast and just the crisis in Belfast. And it's the original is a pretty mournful song um, and it's a pretty emotional song because it's about this very close thing to the songwriter's heart. Um, but Chris Tomlin took it and he just kind of made it a generic white American song and publicized it. And it's, it happens all the time with CCM because it's so, so corporate. Um, what is it? What is that one? It's an Andrew Peterson song. Oh, he is worthy, which again was a, contemplative slow uh really thoughtful song because that's what andrew peterson does he's very very contemplative and i I think also chris tomlin took it and just made it kind of another pop worship song and i'm like don't stop stop doing that and this gets into the the big toffelmeyer rant um i was about to say about like how worship music needs to start being creative. It needs to start being and creative. Beautiful. Because um at, at, at this point I'm just completely paired in Colin Toffelmeyer. So if you're listening, hi Colin. Thanks. Um but the problem with Christian art, if we can call it that, is when you have art, you have your form and you have your function. Now your function is essentially your message. Your function is what your piece of work is trying to do. In the case of CCM pop worship, it's to elevate God and celebrate God. Um, And then your form is how you convey that function. It's your structure. It is the song and the song structure. But the problem comes when you have this high, high function, like how most pop Christian artists do, but your form sucks. Hold on, my audacity just... There we go, it's still... That was scary. Um, I just... You don't know how my heart just dropped. Yeah, it was just... It stopped for a little bit, and it was scary. Um, But yeah, like, when you have this high, high function, but your form sucks, your form reflects badly on your function, and your form is meant to convey and to elevate your function. Think about, like, Memento, the movie Memento, um, and how it's the form, the order of the movie, it's not in a chronological order, but the order is presented to convey the message and themes of the movie. That's good form serving its function, but when your form sucks, it reflects badly on your function, and a lot of Christian pop is generic and bad and constructed to cater to financial demands rather than anything else. And as a result, it waters down your function. It waters down your message. Where you look at artists on the fringes of who who, who really wouldn't identify themselves, I don't think, as Christian bands. Um, Half Alive is a recent example that is new, and I love them so much because their sound is crazy. It's not like anything else I've heard. Every song that they put out is so wildly unique. 
Um, Kim's Kaleidoscope is another example. They have a, like a three-part song called The Rush, which is amazing. Um, and that's what Christian music really should sound like. Like if you want to have genre music, that's fine. But we should be making the most crazy, eclectic, weird music because ideally we serve this divine creator. And so we should be creating. We shouldn't just be repurposing because it fulfills the brand. One such example of, well, maybe not a uh, Christian artist anymore, but someone making weird, eclectic, strange, but beautiful music, Michael Gunger. Yeah. Recently released his new album. Yeah. Under the band name Yahweh. Ooh. Spelt differently than... Does it have a J? No, it's Y-A space W-E-I. Oh, interesting. And it's so, like, it's very, like, when you're talking about creative and eclectic, like, that's the kind of stuff we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah. It is not your typical boring pop Christian music, but it's also not really Christian music. It's more spiritual music right. is how I'd describe it. Mm-hmm. But that's what Christian music should be like. I mean, let's, where's the Bonnie Vares of the Christian music? Yeah, world? exactly. Exactly. Where's the Smash Mouths of the Christian music Isn't, world? I'm trying to think... Does Sufjan Steven... Yeah, he's, like, he's Christian, but he's not, like, he doesn't publicize yeah, himself. Yeah, exactly. And, like, that's fine. Um, but so much so much of what exists has been forced to fit in a box. Bringing back Kim's Kaleidoscope, um, I told this on the story last time, and I don't think you had heard it. They were, like, decently big. They have, like, some, some cool hymn covers and original songs. The original songs are really, really good. Uh, also, they're hymn covers. But... He put out, the lead singer put out this one song. I, I believe it's called The Prayer. I haven't fact-checked since. But um, basically, it's this very personal song about him talking to God about injustice and how broken society is. And at one point, I think I like the climax of the song, he drops an F-bomb because he's passionate and worked up and angry and like we've talked about anger is a justified response to this sort of thing um and he literally got cancelled by the Christian music scene um Kins Kaleidoscope was supposed to go to Youth Quake their their showing got cancelled they weren't allowed to come uh everyone got upset that this Christian artist dropped an F-bomb that's not Christian or whatever and it's like you're missing the point you're you're missing by trying to keep in the sanitized vision of what Christianity is, you're actually rejecting any show of passion, rejecting any show of frustration with injustice, um, rejecting any semblance of creativity, just so that you can all fit in the same little mold that you've constructed. And that to me is like one of the big, big problems with CCM. No, you're... You pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I feel like that could have been, could have been a good wrap-up. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I, I'll just throw in the fact that we've talked about how when something is good and beautiful and true, it typically um, encompasses or brings along the, the divine with it. And how much can you say Christian worship music or Christian music as a whole is good, beautiful, or true? Yeah. Some of it might be some of it might be borderline beautiful or like aesthetic is another word that we've been using for mm-hmm. it. Like, I would say, like, at least somewhat Bethel, as much as I have issues with their lyrics and <laughs> whether this music's actually good, but they're pushing the boundaries on typical worship yeah. music, at the very least. And, and sometimes, despite 
how scummy they can be. They still have something that was like, yeah, I I get something out of this. This still speaks to me somehow. 100%. But very often it might, lyrics either are too happy and like it might be somewhat true, but it ignores another aspect of truth. So is it really true if it's not fitting in like the full picture? Right. Yeah. It can come across so, as hollow. Like there needs to be of movement towards excellence and authenticity yeah. and and aestheticism. Also, you could those are all pretty much synonyms for goodness, beauty, and truth to some extent. If you're authentic, you're true. If you're beautiful, you're gonna have that aesthetic. And I mean, excellence and goodness can be a little different, but you know. I I always find it interesting. Noah and I both share a, a, an interest in the the band Reliant K, who has a really interesting trajectory. Um, a couple of friends of mine have been like going through the, their discography week by week because COVID were bored. Um, and early Reliant K is very much this pop punk band trying to fit in the CCM label where you can have a song that has absolutely nothing to do with God and they'll just be like, we, we need a God lyric in here. And so there's a random God lyric and it just makes the whole song feel really awkward because... It's trying to be this evangelical message and it doesn't need to be. It could have just been a fun song. And their first couple of albums are like that. And slowly you get away from that and they start to find their own identity. And in some ways that's getting away from the CCM sound. They get more into heavier aspects of rock or more piano ballads. In some aspects, it's them becoming legitimately introspective. Um, and sometimes it has to do with God, sometimes it doesn't. But it's more authentic, like you were saying. It's when it is Christian, it is authentic Christianity and not this evangelical uh, message that they're trying to push. It's just them mm. wrestling with faith. And towards the end, they're not technically over, but it is looking dire for the existence of Reliant K. But you look further towards the end of their discography and they have stuff like Forget and Not Slow Down and Air for Free, which at that point are just genuine expressions of their place as artists or their place as people. And sometimes that's an entire breakup album where God is barely present because it's a breakup album. They're suffering or whatever. And sometimes it's just bold, authentic declarations of faith. But it's always authentic. And that's to me, why I still listen to them to this day, at least their mid to later stuff. I barely touch the early stuff, but it's when you're stuck in the CCM label, you're, you're unable to be authentic so much of the time. And we really need to be reaching towards authenticity if we're trying to convey anything at all. And then they stopped being pop punk and I got mad. They're still so good though. But not pop punk. It's because they found their authenticity, Noah. I know, and I can't be upset with that, but at the same time... You haven't listened through Air for Free, though, have you? Yeah, I have. Okay. It's okay. It's so good. The style's it's... fine. It's not really up my alley so much. There's some good songs I still listen to. Good. But, I mean, again, I prefer the more punk era, but, you know. You're the, lyrics have imp- the lyrics have improved. That That's true. Though, I mean... My girl's ex-boyfriend is always a classic. <laughs> what about Marilyn Manson ate my girlfriend? That is such an old one. It's from their first album, and it's such a weird song. I, I don't understand. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. I still listen to aspects of the Pressing On album, whatever that one was called. Yeah, that one's good. Or Sadie Hawkins. Sorry, aspects of that album are good. Sadie Hawkins? No. What Sadie do you mean? Ha- What's wrong with that? You're in your khaki pants. Sadie Hawkins dance is just okay. That's my hottest Reliant K take. What do you have against khakis? It's just, it's just a, I have nothing against them. It's just okay. It's literally a song about just trying to get asked out. That's it. It's just okay. I like how we basically were able to talk about all the same things, but with like a half hour less. Yep, pretty much. Um, Point is, Sean Foyt is neither good. He's definitely not beautiful in those jorts. (laughs) Hey, jorts can be beautiful. They can be, but not on him. I need to rep my Um, boy Brian David Gilbert. Sean Foyt fraud was not true either mm. basically if you want to take one thing from this podcast sean is an asshat <laughs> that, that nothing else we've said matters except the also fact, be creative except the fact that christian worship is equivalent to um sean fraud and george no no, no 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 to shoot what's the name um um the company the shampoo no um dove no no johnson um, and johnson no, no, Old Spice. Oh, that's not, that's not really, sh- that's more like deodorant, but okay. It's, it's a lot of things. Yeah, Old Spice. Yes, yeah, so what was that meme? Look at God, now back to me, now back to God, yeah. now back to me. <laughs> yes, that's 100%. Someone meme that, please. Please. I don't know, I think that's all that kind of needs to be said, unless you have Rex. I do have Rex. Um, I have the Rex. I'm no James Dean. <laughs> Wait. I thought you were gonna. I actually thought you were gonna recommend the Rex new album. I they, they do have a new album. I forgot. I really don't listen to the Rex at all. Um, yeah, I haven't listened to it, but <laughs> I just you were here, so we needed to make that reference. Um, I already talked about Taylor Swift's yep. Reputation, which is a surprisingly good album. I feel like a lot of people wrote it off because of "Look What You Made Me Do," but listening to that song in the context of the rest of the album, it actually slaps and is a banger. And listen. Listen to it along with I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt, and then you'll yes, have a good time. Clearly. Um, so that. Also, Jack Garrett released his new album. Jack Garrett is amazing. I first discovered him in one of my first classes at Ambrose. I had a really cool prof who would just put on music at the start of class. Uh, her name is Nikayla Reese, and she's great. Follow her on Twitter. Um, but yeah, she had a random Jack Harrod song on and me and my one friend who would become my roommate for a year. Like the song kind of slaps. And initially I just listened to his music cause it was good. Um, and after he put out his first album, he like dropped off the face of the earth for three years because he received so much, um, attention and everyone was like, your stuff is so good. And he developed all this like anxiety about his work. Um, but now he's back and he put out, his new album called Love, Death, and Dancing, named after three things it's afraid of. And it's basically just directly, like, it still sounds good, if not better than his last album, but now it's, like, directly dealing with topics of anxiety and mental health and being yourself. And he said that this is the first thing that he's really genuinely proud of that he's made, and it's so good. So listen to that. Also, I have been reading through Mark Buchanan's book, the rest of God, which is just about rest and being present in the moment, which I think is something we all need to learn and all need to train ourselves to do, especially in this time. 
So that's a really good book. Those are my two recs plus reputation. I'm going to recommend my blog, mysticsquill.com. <laughs> oh, yeah, you forgot to plug that as a sponsor. I know. Uh, I am paying myself to put that in here. So <laughs> if you want to read my poetry or read me talk about issues, um, that's where you go. I spent a long time making it. Glenn didn't help me come up with the name, but actually it was Rachel that chose the name. So uh, yeah, it was. Or created the name. I chose the name, but she created it. I also forgot to mention that when we recorded this podcast last time, um, the day that we recorded it, I just watched a movie that was pretty good. It was directed by Ryan Johnson and starred Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver and Mark Hamill. It was a pretty good movie. It's called The Last Jedi. Okay, you're obsessed. <laughs> You've probably seen that movie more times than I've seen any movie in my life. Really? You've probably seen that movie more times than I've seen the original Star Wars trilogy. I've only seen it like... <laughs> 12 times. No, I don't think I've seen it 12 times yet. I would say like... 5 to 7, 5 to 8. Good lord. I also recommend... Uh, again, The Wonder Years and Dan Campbell. Um, but I've already explained that. And I do want to recommend an episode of the Liturgist podcast mm. um, with Michael Gunger and Pete Rollins. Man, that was probably one of the best episodes of anything I've listened to. I'm like, man, I wish our podcast was like that. <laughs> They're just discussing the story, I'll be happy if, blank, oh. you know, the pursuit of something. Literally the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Will Smith. What? Will Smith. That is not where I thought you were going to reference. The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Yeah. And Jaden Smith. But I was thinking of Johnson, but okay. Johnson. Rasslis. Oh. I didn't care enough about Rasslis. Man, <laughs> Rasslis was like literally one of the things I read that still stands out to me. I care a lot more about Will Smith. Rasslis is one of those stories that like I almost memorized because I read it through so many times. I hated writing that paper so much that I feel like I and just I forgot loved most it. of it. That is probably legitimately that might be one of the best papers I've written, if only because I just dove right into like, oh, it was so fun. But also it kind of deals with the things I was interested in at the time. I, I still think it's a good text. I was just very sick of that paper by the end of it. Yeah, fair. I recommend reading Rasselis, though. Samuel read Rasselis and read Candide. Because I think they're companion texts. True. I also read Ecclesiastes along with it, actually. That's, that's true. Read some that's good what I wrote my paper on. Yeah, so I think that's a good list of recommendations. We we came. I came more prepared than usual. So that's. I don't know. I feel like we hit the points pretty well this time. This was a better podcast. I'm I'm happy for us. Yeah, I genuinely think this is better. But also, the first one was more raw. The first one was very raw. But also sometimes it was like, oof. We kind of went off. Yeah, I don't think... I was kind of tired, to be honest. I think I was also tired. Like, there were so many things that I said, and I was like, I did not say that well. I came off as such a bad person when I said that. Uh, I just feel like I didn't... I don't know. I wasn't as present for that podcast. This one I was, like, more tuned in. I was more alert. So, readers, listeners, congrats. Be present. Be present. And congrats, you got a better cast of pods. Yeah. And we were trying to get guests on, but no one cared. No one was trying to get guests on. Everyone's busy and doing crap and working or yeah, whatnot. 
So I did see Maddie on Monday. Nice. She's starting a new job. Oh yeah, good for her. She's pretty great. Yeah. This with with all with all of this ranting at the end, we are still shorter than the other podcast was. I know. We nailed it. I'll be able to edit this down to like a decent length. Yeah. Look at us go. I think we're supposed to end it now. Yeah. Um. Good. Wait. Goodbye, Toronto. And so long, Seattle. So long, Seattle. Goodbye, Toronto. Good night, Toronto. So long, Seattle. Take a deep breath. Be present. Experience God in your own authentic ways because, well, how else could you experience God?